In this episode, Jason and I go over the hurdles you'll face in order to disrupt the marketplace and compete with the big players all around you. You'll learn how to read your customer's mind and how pricing can be used as a placebo and how do you charge the right price to the right market. This is Digital Bacon FM. Joined on the line by our good friend, marketing guru, the one, the only, Stephen Barnes. Ta-da! I wanted to actually play a special effect for you today, but I was terrified that if I played it, I would get all sorts of things. So this is how I get you on the line. Hang on a minute. Let me see if I can make this work. Old school. There we go. How's that for a connection economy introduction to you, Mr. Barnes? Well, thank you very much indeed, sir. Yes, actually, uh, the dialect tone, uh, I guess the modem like that, was uh, very uh, indicative of what it was like during the early days of the, the internet and uh, when the connection economy really was nascent and starting to come into its own. Uh, we still uh, so, have dial-up uh, yeah, modems very, almost here. Thank yeah, you for the yeah. slide today. As I uh, did my intro to you a little earlier on today, we are talking again about the inability that everybody has to compete against free. Well, yes. Yeah, so uh, as we move forward with the Monopoly Planner uh, content, as we deal with uh, each module uh, one by one and uh, each chapter, we've kind of arrived in module two, chapter six now. Uh, where we're going to have a conversation about what sort of free is really all about and how you can sort of appreciate and understand the notion of free within the constructs of the connection economy. Mm. So uh, let me uh, let me start by asking you a question, if I may. Okay. Uh, how would you describe the notion of free that you encounter out there in a commercial setting? What uh, Generally, what does it mean to you when you see it? How do you respond to it? And what kind of examples can you bring to mind that would represent that kind of approach to free in the industrial economy today? Traditionally, I'm suspicious of it because there's never anything for free. Um, and as soon as something's for free, I question it because I know I'm going to get stung some somewhere on the back end. Um, and I think that's just old-fashioned thinking. I've had the benefit of knowing you for many years and like we get onto it in a little bit in the slide, you actually had to explain the power of free to me. And, you know, over the years, I've given it some thought to to my own skill set. And I give away things for free, but I've never really put the two, the, the, the two concepts together. So people will always ask for a recipe. People will ask you for advice how things are done. And I've always given recipes knowing that nobody will ever go home and cook the dish themselves anyway. They prefer the convenience and all of the trappings of going to a restaurant and having somebody else to do it. So if I can draw a parallel between my industry and yours, I understand that that notion of free. You're giving something, you're providing information, you're giving them the wherewithal to do it if they want to do it. But like you give peace of mind, I give the ability to eat and I wash the dishes. Right. And therefore, the question always is, you know, what's the payback for free? And uh, uh, in 99 percent of cases, people genuinely can't see if you're giving stuff away for free, where the, where the payback might be. Sure. Uh, they simply just they, just they just don't get it, you know. 
but uh, what really goes to the heart of free, I would suggest, is this notion that came out of the uh, uh, 1920s New Orleans uh, speakeasies, uh, this idea that uh, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Yep. Um, and that, that came about through uh, the idea of actually giving lunches away to people for free. Uh, expecting that they would partake of the alcoholic beverages while they were there and uh, thereby sort of you know, stinging them with this artificial notion of free. Casinos so, do it every uh, single day. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. you go to a casino yeah. in uh, Las Vegas and they have the free buffet, the free grog, and uh, yeah, keep you at the tables. Yeah, so, you know, in our in our professional practice, what we do is we essentially give away all our IP for free. Uh, and we give away uh, real-life assistance for free uh, on the basis that um, we don't have to do any writing or engage in any official representation for clients. That is, we'll spend time on the telephone answering questions um, and listening to people's problems and basically talking them through, you know, the ideal solution or, the, or at least arranging what options they've got to solve their problems. Uh, and, and you know, ironically, we need to spend that time with them anyway in order to understand what their problem is, right? So whilst we're spending that time with them, we're learning how to solve the problem and we're giving them the information and advice that they need to make some informed decisions about how to solve that problem. So just the, the sheer act of doing that and removing you know, monetary compensation from the equation creates a very special dynamic that can be turned into um, uh, a, a monetary proposition and uh, it's at that point in the connection economy where you can begin to disaggregate and re-aggregate value uh, in as much as um, you get the customer to the point where they've had everything that they need without incurring any commercial sort of exposure at all uh, mm. where they can now understand what the solution to their problem is and how they move forward from uh, where they are at that point to getting their problem solved. Mm. Um, that's where you can come in with an interesting business model if you recognize that that's the catalyst of value exchange. And uh, this is where the modern notion of free really comes into its own, in my view. Now, mm. what we've done is we've kind of harnessed one particular dynamic of free that's applicable to, you know, the kind of problem scenarios that people can encounter uh, such as present themselves in an immigration situation. And I'm not suggesting that our catalyst of free that we've orchestrated for ourselves is universally applicable in every, every niche and every scenario. What it does represent is a, a, a sort of a new way of appreciating what free can represent. And you can then take some of the uh, uh, experience that we've had uh, in our particular niche and, and take those ideas and apply that thinking to your own niche and get your own catalyst of free out of it. Mm. So if you're able then to, you know, create a situation in your in your niche such that the uh, uh, new value proposition is compellingly better than what has been prevailed in the industrial economy and the natural dynamics of the connection economy mean that, uh, you know, you, you as an idea virus, you as that new idea in that niche will begin to spread organically. Uh, you can very quickly uh, create a new marketplace for how people experience what the solution to that particular problem is. Uh, and uh, by doing that, you can then leave your competition stranded because if the competition haven't adopted the approach that you've adopted, unless they've got something compellingly better than what you've been able to put together around free, it's just a matter of time before their business model will become, you know, uh, akin to what happened to HMV. 
Mm. Now, would you say would you say having something for free completely de-risks the relationship? Would you say it's the best form of a de-risk? Well, when we are entering into any kind of relationship with another party, we're going, uh, you know, out on a limb and we're engaging in an, in an act of trust. Mm. So anything that you can do to generate um, the uh, that trust in the hands of the other party mm. by giving them what they need to make the decisions that they conclude for themselves that you are trustworthy, then uh, to the extent that you remove any barrier, monetary barrier from um, uh, from that exchange and just make it free, then uh, you're making it as efficient as possible for that party to understand through you know, how you've represented yourself on the internet, mm. exactly what you represent as a risk to that party. And then they can make an informed determination whether they want to move forward with you or not. So, you, you know, you create a trust environment if you remove all obstacles to that trust environment being created. Now, we, we know that at the back end, there has to be a financial transaction at some stage for it to be a business and for it to be viable. How, how many steps do you think you need before you get to that pay platform to engender trust? Well, you're you're engendering trust, uh, with, you know, with every page that's uh, sorry, with every click that somebody makes on your website. Mm. You're engendering trust with, um, you know, every uh, every every exchange um, a person a person has with you personally or with the organisation that you know you put forward as representing. Uh, so you've got a, a kind of like a, a wear your heart on your sleeve type dynamic in play here. Uh, and you know you've really got to anticipate that uh, you know every aspect of how you conduct yourself in the provision of your commercial operations um, is such that uh, they engender trust in people that they removes uh, obstacles to relationships being formed. Mm. Uh, that's uh, that's really getting down to the, the DNA of how you are best orchestrated to take full advantage of the connection economy because you know if you've opened yourself up in that fashion to the extent that everybody can see that you're completely trustworthy and worthy of dealing with and you are the part you are the person uh, that can absolutely solve you know the problem that they've got oh and by the way you know it's not it, it, the risk of actually engaging with this party professionally is completely reversed because they're going to give you as they do as we do in our case double your money back if you don't get the promised outcome so, you know, you create that kind of business sort of sink on the Internet that's, that's definitively solving a particular problem. Uh, it won't be too long before everybody that uh, has got that problem finds their way to you and they will then want to you know, transact with you. And because, you know, you become the center of gravity in relation to, you know, solving that particular problem in that particular niche. Hmm. Uh, and so they, they, they don't end up going anywhere else. So it all works in your favor. Now, if you had to weigh up the difference between the classic old fashioned word of mouth and referral system, which I know that you still profit from well, because when somebody has a good relationship with somebody, they try and share that that same relationship with other people who who face similar problems. How would you say that weighs up against having an online platform with free? Well, well, one 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 begets the other, right? You know, you have a free platform that helps you create relationships, and then uh, you have those relationships. You uh, you are generous in the way that you conduct yourself, and the you know, in relation to those relationships, recognizing that some of those relationships will will turn into money and some of them won't, but it doesn't matter. They're all valuable relationships. So, you know, having dealt positively with everybody in that environment, they're clearly going to 
uh, make reference to what we're all about when uh, one of their friends or associates has a similar problem and asks for advice or seeks a recommendation. So again, you know, it comes back to just how you equip yourself across the board and what your proposition is and how it's represented fully through, you know, transparency. Uh, and you get all that working in your favour and people naturally will refer you and, you know, we'll, 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 it's a no-brainer for them because when when when, parties make, when one party is making a referral uh, to another, what's really happening is that one party is seeking to, to help the other person mm. um, and they're not going to, you know, just send them down a swanny and they're not going to, you know, give them four options and say, you know, pay your money, take your choice. Uh, they're mm. simply going to give the the option forward that that represents you know the best possible solution to the problem, irrespective of where there's any uh, any competitors in the hunt. Mm. So uh, you come up with the best proposition and you make it very transparent uh, and easy for people to parlay with your proposition because of your web presence. Then uh, you know you uh, you just get referrals. It happens automatically. Mm. Okay. Now another thing that you've got on your slide is. Uh, One-dimensional thinking in the industrial economy with advertising 80% free, 20% pay the premium model, and can they read your mind? What do you mean exactly? Okay, so this this just comes back to this idea that um, when you give something away for free, when the party that is being exposed to that free opportunity is completely boondoggled as to why you would want to give it away for free. Um, and that's that's what I mean by that, because it's one dimensional thinking. People sort of when they see free, they're always looking for the ultimate cash behind it. Mm. You know, they're looking for, as we discussed at the outset of this conversation about advertising. Mm. Uh, is that how um, is that how they're going to be remunerated? Is that, you know, why, why is that why it's free for me? Like, you know, the Google uh, thing, for example. Sure. Yeah. So. So, yeah, the, uh, the the idea is that in order to be to catch them by surprise and to be remarkable. Your concept of free will, I think, just organically anyway, uh, allow you to come up with a proposition that'll, that'll allow you know, your other party to go, wow, how do you do that? I don't quite understand that. Uh, and if you've got that in play, then you know you've got something interesting going on. Okay. Um, now, I, you know, as, as we've discussed before, I've, I've been lucky in, uh, in, in working with you in um, making use of the services, and I... I did the same as most people do, go to the internet, found your um, platform, read some of the stuff that was applicable to me, which at the time was getting my Hong Kong permanent residence, and then ended up on the platform where I could choose, and uh, uh, just correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if it was a silver, platinum, and gold, or silver, gold, platinum. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah indeed. And uh, my personality is such that I really don't want the hassle of it, and I pay for expertise, mint on the pillow, there you go, have a nice day. And um, of of the of your clients, you know, the, the, there's lots of marketing books, and you, you if you have a look at all of these sort of internet platforms, they give you three options. You have the inexpensive starting option, the middle one, and the the top end one, and they always drive you to the middle one because I think that's the way human nature works. Um, of of your clients, what sort of percentage is split across those three options? Well, okay, you know, Peter Thiel in his book, Zero to One, um, you know, talks about you needing to have a secret. Your business has to have some sort of secret. <laughs> You're pulling uh, the secret card on me now. <laughs> no, 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 no. 
Um, and uh, that one of the great things about the kind of business model that, that you know we've developed in intelligent content marketing is that uh, the the sheer data that you the, the data that you generate by uh, having your platform available it tells you a lot about what's actually going on in the marketplace that your competitors will never be able to uh, glean for themselves because they don't have the, the platform to gather that information for themselves. So the, uh, one of the great secrets that uh, we've encountered is that um, in actual fact, when you have uh, a, a collection or a selection of different pricing models, um, the vast majority, in fact, more than 90% of, of clients will actually go for the full service package anyway. But it's only for the very small minority of clients that, that will go for the lesser sort of budget driven um, options. Um, so the, the, real, the real sort of you know, secret from all of that is that uh, actually just the mere fact of having those um, other options introduce disruption into the marketplace. And if your competitors don't have the kind of platform that you have, so that you too can produce those kind of offerings in the marketplace, then, then you know you've got uh, an edge over your competition uh, that actually, in real terms, doesn't make any significant difference to your ability to make maximum revenue out of the um, out of the situation because nine percent of your customers will just head off to the premium option anyway after they've considered you know the lesser options, understanding you know what it means for them. So it reflects the fact that most people just want the convenience as you mm. did, Jason. Mm. Um, and uh, and there you have disruptive you have a disruptive uh, service model that your competitors, as I say, they uh, they can't emulate. So it gives you an opportunity to be immediately differentiated from them. Well, if you have a look at um, platforms like Dropbox and Zero and all of the things that we've all we've all got, um, they tend to drive you to the middle one and saying that the middle one has the most value. So, is there a difference between a value proposition and a mint on the pillow delivery? Uh, well, does I'm, I'm not quite does, sure that I fully. Okay, so say say you look you look at purchasing Dropbox for example. They'll have an entry level price. They'll have the middle one, and then they'll highlight that middle box. Say this is the best value, and then they'll have the more expensive one where they don't add much more to it for the the additional that you pay. I'm trying to think. I think it was zero, and I you know you get twenty users or thirty users, etc., which obviously is is more applicable to bigger businesses. So if you've got your platform where you have uh, three tiers and you have the top one where, where you have it's the most expensive one but it's the mint on the pillow would the middle one still be of great value or is it more price conscious and you still have to do stuff yourself well well let, let, we need to separate the, the, the there's there's two things going on here right you've got the the dropbox situation which is software and then you've got a professional service situation, which is Hong Kong Visa Center. Mm. Um, when you're talking about the Dropbox scenario and the software scenario, you, you, what you're really talking about is just is just turning on uh, uh, features that exist in the software and capabilities gotcha. that exist in the software, and and they're just deriving the maximum value out by by way of a pricing algorithm that's probably well settled in economics, right? Mm. So they, they they now they they would apply that pricing algorithm to the situation that they've got 
uh, in terms of the features and benefits and what you're paying for it. And then they maximize the price knowing what generally what percentages of people pay for what kind of stuff. So that's all in a sense scientifically derived. But when you come to uh, you know, a situation like ours where we're providing a service, um, really, the, the the point the point of difference, differentiation is is to what extent you know do they have access to you? To what extent are they securing convenience out of you know the relationship they've got with you? Uh, and when we're doing our pricing, uh, disruptive pricing models, you know, the, as you would say, the middle option, mm. uh, you know, the the, rea- the reality is uh, it doesn't really matter what it costs. It's what it's what's involved that they're assessing to see. Well, whether or not they want to do all of that and, and think that it's worthwhile paying uh, the price that they pay that would allow them to get access to us, uh, basically assisting them. We don't do any writing. We just counsel them and read the materials and check stuff for them and, and make sure it's all good. But they do all the heavy lifting. Um, so, so normally when our clients are looking at our various options, they can assess the value uh, you know, for of each of those options, and apply it to themselves, and understand what it what what it means to them versus the convenience of us having responsibility for taking care of everything, which is the the, the premium option, hmm. uh, the mint on the pill option, as you call it. And, and you know, ninety percent of people after they've gone through that exercise just just end up in the uh, on the mint on the pill option, not least because they know they're going to get a, essentially a double your money back guarantee for you know engaging with us at that at that. Um, at that level and so it's it's completely de-risked for them and uh uh it's just then boiled down in their own mind to is that the price that i'm prepared to pay and i've got the money to pay to fund for that particular solution and if that price falls within my ability to fund it and i think it's worth it uh, you know bang they make the decision and they go for the uh, for the for the mint on the pillow option 90 percent of the time Okay, now we're talking about price. Is there a ceiling to what you can charge for the service you provide, given that you do do double your, back, uh, double your money back guarantee, which is as be- at best a uh, we almost guarantee it? Is there a ceiling to what well, you can you know, charge if you put another 25% on? Do you think you'd lose clients? There's a, there, that's a great, a great, great question. And um, my pricing philosophy is not to maximize revenue. My pricing philosophy is to deliver is to deliver best possible value for the best for 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 a reasonable return on our investment of time that we put into you know taking care of problems for people. So, so yeah, I mean, there like everything in uh, when you're when you're when you become the expert in the niche as we've done. Uh, you know, the, 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 the every every end of the market that can afford your fees, generally stated, you know, will come and look for you because you perceive to be the best. Uh, so you have some clients that are, we have some clients that are billionaires and we have some clients that are just, you know, startup entrepreneurs, uh, but they all get charged the same fee. Uh, and clearly we could, we could absolutely maximize our fees on the rich, rich end of town if that's the market that we wanted to specialize in. And I suppose, you know, in due course, we could develop a separate practice around that particular end of the market and charge top end fees. But that's all, that's all logical adjacencies that can happen further down the road. What I'm more interested in is, is having an affordable value for money, uh, uh, service that's uh, that, that, that's priced properly that people you know can afford that's de-risked for customers uh, and make it essentially a no-brainer for them to want to transact with us so that in a sense whether it's two or three thousand dollars more or two or three thousand dollars less they probably wouldn't care about it one way or the other but that's not a signal for us to always seek to maximize revenue but you see that opens the door for me if you have a monopoly why not charge what you can <laughs> 
Well, that's fair. That that that's that's fair comment. But you know, we we I believe in the connection economy in an in a commercial environment such as we operate in in Hong Kong immigration. Um, I, I don't see uh, the, the marketplace to to be sort of a, a market that can go and be exploited to get the maximum amount of it out of that you can. What I see the marketplace as is this uh, potential pool of revenue, this potential pool of revenue that uh, can can materialise uh, as a result of you being in the right place at the right time, being able to empower somebody who's got the particular problem that you've got the expertise to solve for them, to let them know of your existence and uh, allow them to conclude for themselves whether or not they want to have someone professionally take care of their problem. Uh, and the way that they conclude that for themselves is by giving them all the information that they need to help them solve that problem for themselves. Uh, and then they conclude you know, where the value catalyst sits, which is, you know, the difference between doing it yourself or paying somebody else to do it. Mm. So I just see the marketplace as being this potential pool of, of service opportunities, which will yield revenue organically. Uh, and then, and then obviously we can price whatever we, we believe the market is, you know, will pay. Uh, but, but what you want to do is have a positive feedback loop. You, you want to have people, uh, you know, deal with you and be happy to deal with you and don't feel that they're exploited just because you've got market, market pricing power. Mm. Uh, you know, I don't believe that, um, you know, that's in the best interest of the organization. It's a slippery slope after that. We, in the connection economy, you've got trusted relationships. People have invested in, in, in you as an organization. They have expectations of you and you have to keep your promises. Uh, and your brand is what your brand is. And uh, certainly you can settle your price at, uh, at, any, at any, 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 any stage in the pricing matrix that, that you believe, you know, where the value sits. But you, my, from my perspective, the kind of practice that I want to build and, and the foundation of the relationships that, that we're putting down at every level means that I want our prices to be affordable and valued for money, uh, where we're still getting a pretty decent return on our investment so that we can take care of our stakeholders um, mm. you know, and let them benefit from it as well. Well, you know, if you, if you have a look at human nature, I think most of us are the same. We assume that when we pay more for something that it's better than the thing that's cheaper. So you know that I work with Gulu at Moorcroft and you know we try to get our pricing in line with the um with the status of the hotel being a, a beautiful boutique country hotel on 11 hectares of ground with 19 staff uh when you have 12 rooms you know that's two staff per room and when you yeah, when fabulous you, fabulous when when you try and understand what it costs to run an operation like that and then you dictate the pricing that needs to cover the three uh, grounds people that look after the grounds the security and everything a, a lot of that is people don't see it when they come and they they will compare a cafe in the same town looking onto a parking lot that charges the same price and then how do you how do you try and charge the right price to the right market at the right time when people are comparing price and not apples and apples? Well, you know, although the best that you can do is deliver a, you know a superb experience, give them a wow, uh, and allow them to you know through your entire proposition realize the value that. Uh, 
they've got from that cup of coffee in that environment served in the way that it was, you know, being available to them in, in the way that they aren't going to get it anywhere else. Uh, let them appreciate that, that, that that's that's absolutely worth it. Now, there's there's nothing that you can do to get into their mind to stop them from comparing the price of one, you know, a cup of coffee in uh, in, in paradise to a cup of coffee in, in a pit stop, right? That mm. people are always going to do that. So, so you, I think you just have to understand that that's just the game. Uh, really, your your proposition is all about just justifying, making it self-evident as to why they're paying more for that cup of coffee with you because of the, the service and the experience that you deliver to them. If they can't get it, then then you know, well, they'll they'll you know they'll grumble a bit and they won't come back. But you don't want those types of customers anyway, right? You want those types of customers that really appreciate uh, what you've got. Uh, and it's, it's to those people that are you know predisposed to appreciating what you're all about. That's that's your real tribe. That's where you want to be. Uh, you know, uh, sowing the seeds of uh, future growth. Now, you and I have had the 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 fortune of being able to tootle around in a variety of places, Thailand and England and the States, etc. And we've always said to go on a gallivant to, <laughs> gosh, where does this vernacular come from? Yeah, I know it's crap. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll speak all posh for you. Um, and you know, of the conversations that we've had over the years, there's a certain distrust of things that are not expensive enough. Especially in Hong Kong, if we've been out to eat and it's too cheap, the first thing that we question is the quality of the ingredients that go into it. So establishing the price also has something to do with the trust of the person who's purchasing it, knowing that they're getting value and that it's a real deal. I mean, if we go out in Hong Kong and we have a steak and it's 80 bucks, we think there's something seriously wrong. Right. Yeah, indeed. Mm. So so how do you… Okay. So so what's your question? How do you, how do you how do you how do you have a great environment deliver value for money uh, charge the same as somebody else uh, because you want to match price and yet still at the same time convince them that everything you're doing is above board when they can't put all of those pieces together like if Cathay Pacific said we've got a special business class seats five grand you'd start to wonder although you would say right it's Cathay well, I, I know it's going to be a business class seat so well, there the, you go. Okay, here's here's the problem with that question, right? The problem with that question is that you presuppose that I'm going to be operating in the business where I have to match price. Um, Mm. The way that I've constructed my proposition, it's so vastly different from what the industrial economy operators are all about. I don't have to worry about matching price. I'm going to go off and develop a a value proposition that's that's predicated on on the dynamics of of what we've built, and uh, and we differentiate ourselves through you know the the totality of of the experience that we deliver to customers. Uh, Our our competitors are essentially invisible on the internet, whereas you you know you go on the internet and all you can see really is us. That's the reality. Our 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 two major competitors um, in our space, the global operators do not have any meaningful internet presence uh, in Hong Kong at all, at all. Mm. They have uh, all the t- all the usual suspect, me, 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 my, 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 this is, you know, what my practice is all about, blurb, uh, all the bios of all the partners and all the kind of stuff that nobody's really interested in. Uh, they have generally a few pages on good technical uh, know-how of the Hong Kong immigration process, seeking to educate people as to you know what the process is all about, showcasing that you know they know 
what it's all about. But given that you know the the, the lawyers and big immigration consulting firms, you'd expect them to know what what they're all about. So there's no real value in that as such. Mm. Uh, but beyond that, they they simply don't have any any presence at all. They may have let's say 30 pages of web web pages each 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 of those two businesses dedicated to Hong Kong, where we've got uh, more than 10,000. Pages, you know, many of which are very high quality video, right? Mm. So there's no comparison on, so, on the internet between us and them. So they're invisible, and and we're able to uh, differentiate ourselves just by our sheer existence and the, and the and the uniqueness of our business model. It then it then begs the question: If they are global players and they have a very small internet presence, do people still view professional services as something that you do in the traditional way and don't find your provider on the internet? Well, that, that's a great question. You see, well, the, the thing you. is, you know, industrial economy businesses gen- who are operating in the industrial economy have always operated in the industrial economy. They don't have a lot of use for the in, in the internet for what they do, right? Yes, if they're in the service business, they can produce, you know, like portals that will give their clients the ability to understand exactly what's going on in their relationship with the service provider they can they can do that and that's valuable because it means you don't have to spend much time on the telephone finding out what's going on right mm-hmm. so there's val- there's value there um, but the majority of the uh, of the websites are, are really all about just just putting the corporate blurb up there to uh, you know to announce what 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 they are all about and uh, and, and 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 that's kind of like meaningless, right? So when you go into um, look for the solution to a problem, uh, if you come across a website like that, how does that help you solve your problem? Other than knowing, announcing that you know they are there to. To, to help you if you're ready to pay. Well, they know that anyway. That's not where they are in their journey for a solution. But they want to know what, what the solution to the problem is now. They can educate themselves to make informed decisions. Hmm. Um, so if you've got uh, if you've got an internet presence that's designed to that end, uh, then then you know naturally all, all the traffic's going to come to you. And uh, and in the industrial economy, it, people are increasingly starting their journey for solutions via search on the internet. So if you've hmm. got an interesting in connection economy business model at the end of that search that's available to them well you know i'm not suggesting that that everybody's going to immediately transact with you but at least it's an option that they can consider and if it's a a proposition that is compellingly different from that which exists on the industrial economy side of the fence then then why wouldn't uh, people have a shot at you and you know that's what we've experienced and that's what you know intelligent content marketing is all about thank you mr barnes you have an absolutely awesome afternoon and we'll catch up soon Digital Bacon FM. Now that you know a bit more about why big players can't compete against free, join us next time for more on how to move forward in a very competitive landscape.